0: Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens and Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. This week we're kicking off a two-week mini-series called New Life. Today's episode is titled The Blessing of New Life. Here's Associate Pastor J.C. Thompson.
1: Man, he is holy and worthy to be praised. Well, hello. My name is JC. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Me and Brian are tag team in a series uh, entitled New Life. Uh, We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 today. You can go ahead and turn there. Um, Man, I'm excited about this series. You know, we've we've been talking a lot with the pastors just over the last several weeks and months about some of the things going on in our country. It seems like there's this uh, growing sense of spiritual hunger, maybe an awareness, heightened uh, spiritual sensitivity, and I, I hope, I hope that it sticks, not in this like contrived, uh, trying to make yourself get all stirred up way, but in a real deep and abiding sense of desiring God's presence in every arena of your life. And so that's that's what we've been talking about. And this series kind of does a good job, I think, of tying last series with Perry talking about uh, the promised land and how it's uh, it's available now, um, and also challenging us to make a commitment to the Lord with us and our family to lead in that particular way. Uh, and then also Easter's coming up, which is what we celebrate. It's what we're here for. The reason why you sing out loud, well, for most of you, is, is probably not because you sound awesome, um, but because there is a Lord worthy to be worshiped and praised. And so, We sing out of a response to what he's done for us. Uh, So we are talking about this idea of living the new life of the Spirit. And this chapter of Ephesians chapter 1 does a great job of explaining that in depth. Now the portion I'll be talking about today will be the first section of Ephesians chapter 1, which is the objective reality of new life, which is made available to us by God. Then Paul will finish the chapter really by praying for believers that they would be aware, that they would experience the reality of that life in their day-to-day. And so I'm excited about this series, that we would know it, experience it, and live it out everywhere we go. Now, as I started studying this passage, sometimes uh, as a pastor, you study it and you're trying to figure out the mechanics. Sometimes you're studying a passage and you just are so confused, and it takes you a while. And then sometimes, as a pastor, you stick in one thing, and it's like you can't leave. And in this passage today, I I experienced that over the past several weeks, and it's really one verse. And so, I think this particular uh, passage for us is so important, but I want to give you two specific reasons why I think this passage is big time, okay? Number one, Almost all of Paul's letters were written to a specific audience, a specific group of people. And so sometimes it feels like you're entering into a conversation that you really weren't a part of to begin with. Like he's naming people and you're going, I don't know who these people are. Like what's this passage about, right? Uh, This letter, Ephesians, was not written that way. It's very... Uh, general, generic. Um, And so Ephesus was a church. It was a region of believers as well. And it was written to both Gentiles and Jews. And so you've got a very general sense here. And I think it's the easiest one for us to enter into because of that, because it's uh, generally addressed. The second reason why is because it deals directly with our salvation, specifically from the perspective of God. What did God have to do with these things? And so I think it's just such a focused passage for us in Ephesians chapter 1, and I think we'll pull a lot from it. Today, our theme verse is the first portion of the passage, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. And I pulled it from the CSB because the root word in English is the same in this translation. So verse 3, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Now this verse seems to indicate that we have absolutely everything we need to not only live the Christian life but to excel in it, to be satisfied in it. Is that your experience? In the Christian life sometimes you meet Christians who seem to be defeated. Now I understand that there are temporary moments in our life where we feel weak, where we feel like there's a struggle or some suffering happening. Now, I'm not talking about moments. I'm talking about when you get next to them, no matter the day, time, opportunity, whatever's going on, it feels like they're telling you they're defeated. Now, I would characterize that mindset battle that we have as followers of Christ in this way. It's your first fill-in on your outline. It's just this, it's a surplus mindset versus a deficit mindset, a surplus mindset versus a deficit mindset. Now, I'm sure you all have all heard the concept of gl- being glass half empty, viewing your life as glass half empty or glass half full. Everybody heard that? Has everybody heard that? Yeah. Okay, just making sure. Uh, what, what I'm advocating here is not uh, what Paul is advocating in reality. In other words, glass half empty, glass half full is a perspective how I view life. It may not be what's really happening, but it's how I view it, right? Does everybody understand that? But what Paul here is teaching is not about perspective. He's not teaching you about your mindset. He's teaching you about what is real. And as a child of God, my glass is always full spiritually. I'm going to say that again. As a child of God, my glass is always full spiritually, now, this is in the prosperity gospel, okay? I'm not telling you that we ignore what are real trials, tests, and temptations in our life. I'm not telling you that you're not going to have seasons of suffering and pain. But I am saying that while we experience all of those struggles that are a reality of the human experience, what is always true is that our glass is always full. Now, JC, that that seems a little, I feel like already my toes are getting a little stepped on because I definitely have been in the place before where I have said this phrase, this very famous phrase, woe is me. Anybody ever said that? All right, some of you are a little too comfortable with knowing that phrase, okay? I, I am advocating here that we should always experience a deep sense of God's indwelling presence. That is what is available to us always. We may not have the perspective that that's what's true, but it's always true. Okay? And I just, I think this woe is me thing is something that we've got to take a look at in our life. Now, a lot of people attribute woe is me, that phrase, to Shakespeare. A very famous uh, use of it was in his work Hamlet. But way before that, in the oldest book of the Bible, Job, uh, Job said this very phrase in Job chapter 10, verse 15. He says, if I am guilty, woe to me. Even if I am innocent, I cannot lift my head, for I am full of shame and drowned in my affliction. But for Job, this was temporary. This was a temporary attitude he had, and it was moving, this attitude was moving towards God. He's talking to God in this way. He's moving towards him. It is a God-oriented response to his situation, which was not good circumstantially. So if you're in a season of suffering, perhaps waiting, or even you are feeling this overwhelming sense of darkness because of sin in your life, we must orient our hearts towards God and not shrink away in self-pity. We've got to move towards him, okay? But how do do we do this? I mean, that all sounds great that that's the reality, but my experience is not that. Sometimes my experience is woe is me. I feel what Job feels sometimes. So how do we move towards experiencing what is available in the new life consistently? How do we do that? Well, today we're going to talk about that. And I'm going to talk specifically about the objective blessing of new life. If you got your outline, point number one, the blessing of new life consists of responsive worship, responsive worship. Verse three, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Paul is never used as how you teach, like used as a tool in order to teach someone Greek. When I was in seminary school, they didn't use Paul's letters to do that. Do you know Why? Because he doesn't follow the rules. He doesn't. He doesn't follow the rules. He makes up words. He makes up sentence structure. He just, he basically does what he wants to, which is not bad. I mean, that's artists, right? That's, that's what they do. But I'm also saying to you, this is, what he's writing here doesn't follow the rules. From verse 3 until verse 14 is one sentence in Greek. And listen, I've gotten lots of papers graded. I would have gotten a giant red pen on my paper if I did what Paul did right here in this passage. But I think he's writing this particular way because something's happening in him. And I think this first word of this verse lets us know exactly what it is. And this word that gets repeated throughout this verse is, the root word is eulogia in Greek, the root word for blessing. Now, you recognize that word in English because of hearing a eulogy or to eulogize someone. And all that word means is to speak about someone with honor, to speak well of someone. Now, this first usage of this word in the passage is only used in the New Testament when addressing God. That particular word would never be used unless the author were talking directly to God. And so that's what Paul is doing in this passage. He has written one sentence, and this sentence is his song of love to God. It is written as a response to what God has accomplished for us. Now listen, throughout this, and we're going to get to it, Paul is describing to us a reality that every follower of Christ has available to them in their life. When we look at what God has accomplished for us, that He has a purpose for our lives, not only in heaven but also here on the earth, the only thing that we can do is to respond to Him in some way. And the proper response is one of worship. Now, I need to tell you something. I am not musically inclined. If you've ever sat near me, that's pretty obvious. Okay? I'm not a singer. So if you're like me, sometimes you hear people talking about worship and you go, "Ooh, you know, that's not my strong suit to kind of lean away from that. But let me tell you some things, okay? When the Bible talks about worship, it doesn't only talk about music. It most certainly talks about music and how we sing, but it doesn't only talk about that. Worship is much more than music, and it's much more than a song that we sing. For those of us who are not musically inclined, don't pass over this. When Paul is saying when we look at what God has done, we should worship. For those of us who aren't great singers, we need to ask, besides singing, what can we offer as a response to God? Well, I'll just give you three easy ones today, okay? Three easy ones that you can offer to God in worship based on what He's done. Number one, your work, your job, your relationship with your boss and your coworkers. You can offer what you do as an offering to the Lord, You can offer how you do it as an offering to the Lord. God has utilized craftsmen throughout time, specifically to even build his temple. You know, it's one of the things that makes me kind of sad when I look at church buildings today. It's an American view that we put into church buildings. How can we make them the most efficient? How can we move people the fastest? What can we do? that's, that's how buildings are designed today for churches. But if you go to cities, historic cities, cities that have been around a long time, and you look at churches, you go, my goodness, the intention behind their design, the intention behind this work. I was in D.C. a week ago with fifth graders. And in between, trying to wrangle cats, I was looking at these buildings, and I was amazed And I thought to myself, these people who were building these things, who had these plans, vision, direction, they had to see their job as more than just their job. So your work. I'll give you another one. Your home. Your home. Your home should be a place of worship. Not only for the people that live there, but when you invite people over to your home, do they cross the threshold of your front door and immediately experience some different presence in your home? Does it feel warm? Does it feel loving? Does it feel like I'm accepted here? Or are they trying to get out as quickly as possible? Your home can be a place of worship. And guess what? Your children live there. Are we discipling our children in the ways of the Lord? The church can't be the only place your children receive discipleship. I'll give you another one. And this is kind of split over two, but it involves exerting our effort. Think about your calendar and think about your bank account. Think about your calendar and your bank account. If you were to look at your time and how you use your money, would you say it would be obvious to anyone in looking at those things that you see both your calendar and your bank account as an opportunity to worship the Lord? It doesn't have to be here. God calls us to give here through His Word, but it doesn't only have to be here. He calls you to serve here in His Word, but it doesn't only have to be here. There's plenty of places that need somebody to be generous with both their time and their money, and it can make a huge impact. It can make a huge impact in someone's life. In fact, there are people here at Brookwood that some outside organization helped draw them here. And now they're a functioning part of our church, they're a part of our family, because some organization is reaching out. And so it's okay to partner in other ways other than the church. But if I were to look at every area of of your life, would it be obvious, would it be obvious without you having to explain it to me, would it be obvious that you view your whole life as an act of worship to God? Now listen, that's encouraging to somebody like me that your whole life can be worshipful because I don't think anybody's felt worshipful when I'm singing a song. And listen, we need to sing. I'm not advocating that you be quiet. We need to sing. Why? Because God asked us to. Don't sit in your seat and watch everybody else sing. we got to sing. JC, it's going to sound bad. Somebody's going to judge me. We're singing to God. And we're praying for them to grow And we're praying for us to grow and singing loudly and boldly because Christ deserves it. So we sing. And listen, y'all sounded fantastic this morning. Y'all were singing. It makes a preacher come out and get ready. So yes, we sing, but we do all these other things as well. And it's encouraging to somebody like me who's not musically inclined. Listen, I couldn't carry a tune in a front-end loader. I need all the help I can get. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says it this way. He called you to salvation when we told you the good news. Now you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's asked you to share in his glory. God has a bigger mission in your life than waking up, doing your 9 to 5, and heading home. He has called you to share in the glory of his son Jesus Christ. Now, have y'all ever seen a a child around the ages of seven or eight, maybe a little bit younger, when they get excited about something? Or have you ever talked to an adult male when they're excited about something? That's a little more rare. But if you see it in the wild, they're very similar experiences. Sometimes it feels like when they get excited about something, you know, I'm, I'm riding home with my youngest son from school, and it's just like the words are just... They're just coming out like a hose. At one point, he says, "Am I saying too many words?" <laughs> yes, you are, son. And that's way too many words. Like I think for us, this is what Paul's doing. There's something going on in his heart that he's excited about, and words just keep coming up. He, like he just—it's just an overflow. And I imagine if you were watching him write this, you'd see a big smile come over on his face, and you'd just see him like. Words are spewing out, but unlike a toddler and unlike some adult males, while these things are overflowing out of his heart, Paul is being very intentional with the words that he's using. He is trying to move our wills, our mind, and our hearts towards God. Paul is saying for us, there is a reason to praise God. Now, for some of you, y'all are there. You can tell me right now, if I asked you, give a testimony, you'd be able to stand up and say, here's the wonderful things that God has done in my life. I can give a testimony. But there's some of you in this room who might be feeling like your heart is a little bit dry. You would love to be bubbling over. But for whatever's happening in your heart and in your life right now, it feels like every time you try and pull something up to respond to God, you're pulling from an empty well. And so I'm asking you to remember today that what Paul sees as worship is a response to something that God has done. Paul sees worship as a response to something that God has done. And so that's where we want to lean. Now, listen, we've all been formed in this way where we wait till the end of the service and pray. And we're going to pray at the end of the service, okay? But I want to take a moment right now, and I want us to reorient ourselves to God, okay? So here's what I want you to do, I want everybody to close their eyes, and I want you to close your fist, just right in front of you, close your fists, grip them tight. I want you to think about what's happening in your life right now. So as you go to God, you've got these things you're holding on to. Maybe it's a promise from Him, maybe it's a a dream, maybe it's a struggle, maybe it's some pain, maybe you're searching for healing. And I want you to be aware and share with God, here's the things I know. Here's the things I'm aware of and I'm holding on to, God. Here's the things that are in my life. I just want you to pray right now for those things. I want you to offer those things to God. Now, as you've offered those things to him, this can be a little scary what I'm about to do. Keep your eyes closed. I want to ask you, if you're willing, open your hands up to him. Now, there's two things that are possible when you open your hands. One, the things you've been gripping so tightly can fall out, and you don't own them anymore. There's some great positive things about that in some situations. There's some terrifying things about that in some situations. I want you to open your hands, and I want you to ask God to fill your hands with whatever he desires to today. I'm going to lead us in that prayer. God, fill our hands, fill our hearts, fill our minds. There are so many things that we have a temptation to just grip onto. Our families, our job, the place that we live, the future, sickness, healing, financial situations, God, we open our hands to you. God, whatever it is that you have for us, maybe it's a person today, maybe it's a thought, maybe it's something from your word, maybe it's an abiding sense of what you've accomplished for us through the cross. God, whatever it is, God, we want it today. So God, we ask you, fill us today. Allow us to experience your presence in you. It's in the name of Christ we pray these things. Amen. And praise him that he's available to us all the time. You can tell him thank you for that. Point number two. The blessing of new life also consists of divine provision. Divine provision. The second portion of verse three. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us who has blessed us. Paul then goes on to say, after he has explained that he is responding to what God has done, is clearly articulating, it is God that has done it. God is the one who is blessing. It's God who's blessing. The form of this word, eulogia, is meant to convey the meaning that someone is giving something to someone else. God is giving his children blessing. He is blessing us. This is the act. It is an intentional act on behalf of God to give things to his children. So then Paul, remember, bubbling over, overflowing, starts to list some of these benefits that God has given to us. Here's what he says in verse 4. Now, I'm preaching, so I'm going to emphasize some things, but you may emphasize some other things when you hear these. That's okay. But I'm going to emphasize these because I'm getting to preach. God may call you to preach one day. Verse 4, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. He has showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he'll bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything everything in heaven and on earth. Everything in heaven and on earth. Everything in heaven and on earth. So I'm just going to point some of these things out to you, and I hope that your heart will start to stir. First, we are chosen to be holy and blameless. There's this narrative out there that you can come to Christ and nothing's going to change about you, that I get to do all the things that I did before knowing Christ, and nothing's going to change. The problem with that is the Bible says that's not what happens The Bible actually says that when we come to be regenerated by the Spirit of God, everything about us changes. The goalposts change. We went from living life for ourselves to now we are living life for God. And the aim of that life towards God, the qualitative difference of that life towards God, is one being holy and blameless. Holy and blameless. Set apart. In other words... We should be able to say about followers of Christ that they are different than those people who are not followers of Christ. Why? Because God called us to be that. That's His standard. That is the goal. That is the purpose of us being changed is to become like God, our standard. We're not chosen to remain and live our life with a selfish aim, but instead, we are chosen to reflect the character and attitude of God our Father, who is holy and blameless. We're also adopted. Now, this is particularly special to me because adoption has touched my family. My grandfather was adopted. My youngest son is adopted. And so, you'll hear us say sometimes what it means to be a part of the Thompson family, because he's got our name. And under Roman law, an adopted son had the same rights and privileges of a biological son. The same is true for us as children of God. We are adopted into the family of God. We bear the name of Christ. We have the inheritance of Christ. We have the brotherhood of Christ. We get bought into a family, and God did pay a price for us to come. Now, listen... That doesn't mean it's easy. Adoption doesn't cure problems. Y'all know this to be true. There are times where we feel a little more inclined to live based on our family of origin. The Scriptures say that we were born into the family of the devil and that we live life according to his intentions and his plans. But when Christ intervened, We were adopted into a new family with a new goal, with a new purpose, with a new vision, with a new family culture. And then the other verse that just grabbed me this week is verse 5, where Paul says this. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Isn't this amazing? God wanted to do all this. When he looked at you and all your faults, in all your past, in all your pain, in all your inclinations, in all your small desires in comparison to his desires, he looked at you and he wanted you to be a part of his family. And not in so, some egomaniacal way. When you're a part of his family, it's how you were designed. It is the best operating procedure for your life to be a part of the family of God. And so he wanted you to experience that. And it brought him great pleasure to experience that. It's why the Scriptures, when they talk about somebody crossing the threshold of faith, when they become regenerated by the Spirit of God, when they become a permanent resident in the family of God, When the Scriptures talk about that, they say heaven celebrates. Now, listen to me. I've been to a lot of parties, okay? Most of them are bad. The ones that are the best are when a one-year-old puts her face in a cake. That's the best party. But I think a heavenly party, it would blow our minds. I mean, God thought a cake when he made this world. Can you believe that? No, I'm serious. He thought of that. He thought of cake. He thought of icing. He thought of music. I don't know if he thought of confetti or glitter. That may have been the fall. But I can just imagine when somebody crosses the threshold of faith, it initiates a party in heaven. It initiates a celebration. It initiates... Great pleasure for all involved. And it's why we focus on that here. It's why we talk about being regenerated by the Spirit. It's why we're so laser focused on are you truly a child of God? Because it's the thing that initiates heavenly parties. It's why we share about Christ with people who don't know Christ. It's why we love enemies of God because God loves his enemies. And we share with them that there's more available to them. And we get pumped about that because God's pumped about it. None of you, none of you came to God because God begrudgingly accepted you. You came to God because God was pumped for you to be a part of his purpose. And that's exciting to me. Our security in Christ comes from salvation being God's idea, God's action, and God's desire to bring it all to fulfillment. It's why we can trust it. It's why we can celebrate it. It's why we can feel this abiding sense of peace and satisfaction because God's doing it, and God wants to do it, and He is excited about doing it. God not only had a plan before the foundation of the world to send Jesus Christ as our substitute, but He initiates a relationship with us through either the preaching of the Word, either on a stage like this, or in person with somebody, or on the radio, or through a book. And He will continue to love us throughout eternity if we're His children, because He's adopted us, and we're His. He does all this with the motivation of His glory and His grace. Now we can start to get our hearts a little stirred now. We can see a little bit of what Paul's writing from. We can see why he's wrote, written a run-on sentence. And we can say, sorry, grammar teacher, it's just coming out of me. I got, I got to put it on paper. See, we are not ever pulling from the empty well if we're pulling from God's well. But if we f- pull only from our well… Our bucket can come up empty. So we got to go to where God is. And we got to say, God, all these are available for me. Please fill me, fill me, fill me. Fill me up with what you have. But Paul doesn't stop there. He continues his list. Redemption in verse 7. Forgiveness in verse 7. Both accomplished and given to us freely through the blood of Jesus Christ. This term redemption has to do with the payment made for our sin. Christ's body and blood was the payment for our sin. It was a one-time payment. He didn't need to make any more. That's why Christ said, it is finished. It's done. He's made the offering for your sins. All of our sins were in front of Christ's timeline, all of us in this room. None of us were sinning when Christ was present on the earth. So he looked forward And he knew, even the stuff that you haven't done yet, Christ's sacrifice was enough for those things. But forgiveness of sins, Paul writes here, he doesn't say sin. He says forgiveness of sins. And I think Paul's pointing towards that ever-abundant growing list that we have. And he is reminding us that we can always go back to God and he'll grant us forgiveness of our sins God-oriented hearts receiving forgiveness from our sins. Redemption paid for our sin. Forgiveness for our sins keeps us in right-standing relationship with him, and we feel that right-standing relationship with him. Subjectively, we feel we're in a good spot because we keep short, short accounts with God. The mystery that Paul's describing here is the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the plan of salvation made known to us by the Holy Spirit. It has been revealed to us. Spurgeon once talked about this idea between us exerting our own efforts, but or instead being filled with the Holy Spirit through His efforts. He said, "If you're working in your own efforts, you're like a snail, and as you put forth your own effort, you're melting across the pathway of life, losing steam." But he says this, and I quote, But when the Holy Spirit fills a man and leads him into prayer, he gathers force as he proceeds, and he grows more fervent even when God delays to answer. But do you feel that? When God delays an answer, do you feel like you're growing stronger, more passionate, more excited to pray, more fervent and committed in your prayers? Is your grasp of of God's divine provision in your life so great that it just spills out of you? No, listen, Perry's not here. I asked you a question, and when Perry's here, I'm in those seats, and I see you guys answer his question. (laughs) So I'm going to ask you again. Is your grasp of God's divine provision in your life so great that it just spills out of you? And some of you are going, no. No. We've got to know that God's storehouse is always full. And we need to go to him to receive what he has for us. Listen, you ever been to the grocery store and the shelves are empty? Listen, are y'all alive out there? Let me hear you in the risers. Have you been in the grocery store and the shelves are empty? Okay. How do you feel? How do you react when that happens? Yeah, grumble. How did they not ship this from whatever country it came from in time for me to get this grocery? You know what I'm talking about? Listen, every time you go to God's storehouse, there's something on the shelf for you. You will never show up and it's empty, ever. We're going to be in eternity and we're going to be like, I went in, it's full, I pulled some off the shelf, I turned around, went back in, it's still full again, every time. It's constantly regenerating, it's benefits for me. That is what is reality for us as followers of Christ. He is always full. He is never lacking. But it's not just it's available, He's moving towards you because he wants you to experience it. He wants you to pull those things off the shelf. Listen, I just, even if you're not there today, even if that's not your experience, can I just tell you, just consider this a reminder to you that God's grace is enough, it's always full, and it's always available to you, always. We are richly supplied with all we need in Jesus Christ. We are never, ever working from a deficit. Let Jude 24 be an encouragement to you. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Without a single fault. He's going to present you blameless to God. Lastly, the blessing of new life consists Of abundant benefits. Abundant benefits. The last section of that, verse 3, with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Now, that word is a noun. Paul's last use of this word is to show us that there's real, tangible, concrete blessings available to us in God. He didn't just speak it. He gave us something. And they're given to us because of Jesus Christ's accomplishments. Obedience through his life, obedience in his death, and then raised to new life by God the Father through the Holy Spirit. Now the word spiritual here, when used in the New Testament, talks not of a particular characteristic, but instead a divine source. What the Word of God is saying is these blessings come from the Holy Spirit. So how do we know it's a spiritual blessing? Because it came from the Holy Spirit. Not a candle or a crystal. Your blessing came from a Holy Spirit who's a person and distributes his gifts. But they are also in the dimension of heaven. Paul's describing how we're dual citizens here. We live on earth, but we are also present in the dimension of heaven. The kingdom of God is here. When Christ came, he ushered in the kingdom of God here on earth, that it is present. One day we'll be single citizens, and we're living for one kingdom, but that day is not today, not yet. Verse 14, the Spirit is God's guarantee. If you got another translation, what word does it use? Somebody tell me. Verse 14, seal. That's right, seal. The Spirit is God's guarantee or his seal that he will give us the inheritance he promised to us and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. These blessings given to us by the Spirit of God are not just one-day blessings. They are right-now blessings. And there's another group of blessings we're going to get one day. But we have today blessings. When you're regenerated by the Spirit of God, when God places his Spirit in you, you get it immediately. Now, it doesn't mean that you fully realize what's going on. In fact, even sometimes with experience, obedience to God's Spirit, you get a little older, you get a little more mature in the faith, you still sometimes go, Spirit, what in the world are you doing? But you are immediately indwelt by the Spirit of God. That's why you'll hear Perry all the time asking you, you need to ask the Spirit of God, confirm to me that I'm a follower of Christ. He is our affirmation that we're in the family of God. God's Spirit is the guarantee of His promises to you. And other translations say seal, and I think that word's fantastic. This is such a deep and significant picture of the Holy Spirit's work in our life that I think we need to be aware of it. Now, seal in ancient days was made of hot wax, and it would seal a scroll or a document, and you would close it with the hot wax. And then you would indicate who is sending that particular thing by a signet or a signature ring. And it could be another object besides a ring, but most commonly it was a ring. And you would take your ring and you'd press in that hot wax, thus making a unique signature, showing that whoever's getting that particular letter, scroll, gift, knows who it came from. The Holy Spirit is God's seal in our life. He seals us in. He encloses the contents of the spiritual life in us. Nobody can get to it. Nobody can open it. Revelation 6 gives us this picture. Who is worthy to open the scroll? Who is worthy to open this book? Christ is worthy. He's the only one that can open that up. So we're sealed in by the Spirit one day to be open to the fullness of life in God by Jesus Christ himself. And we have God's signature on our life. We are God's representative wherever we go, whenever we go there. We represent Christ in every arena of our life. This is the foundation of our assurance that we're a child of God. It is the Spirit of God Himself. The Spirit is the objective reality of what God has planned, accomplished, and confirmed through our salvation. But we do have a part to play in this. It's the part that Paul started with. It's the part that he's lived out in front of us through his writing. Our part is to respond to God. Verse 3, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's worship. Our role in seeing that all that God has accomplished is to respond to him in faith. One of my favorite pictures of this comes from the prophet Malachi. Now, when I was a kid, you had to memorize Scripture in the King James Version. And so that's what I've got this passage memorized in. But Malachi, the prophet, is explaining to the people of, people of Israel that judgment is coming from a messenger of God. And he's talking about Christ. One day, Christ is going to come in his second coming. And he's going to judge us all. All of us. There are no exceptions. All of us will be judged by Christ. The people of Israel were living in disobedience to God. So Malachi calls them to repent and to stop robbing God of what is rightly his. So here's what he says in Malachi 3.10. He says, bring, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, saith the Lord. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will not... Will I not open you a window of heaven and pour you out a blessing so much so that you will not be able to receive it? Put me to the test. Try me is what, Lord, God says through the prophet Malachi. This is the new life. After being purified by Christ's sacrifice and being regenerated by the Spirit of God, we're to offer our lives to God as a sacrifice to him. But here's the amazing part. When we do this, God opens up the heavens and blesses us. This new life is one to be lived generously out of a worship-filled response to all that God has done for us. But let me tell you something. I love this passage. I love it. If you can just imagine for a minute the story of the widow with the two mites, and she is bringing all she has. She's bringing all she has to God. And when we bring all that we have to God, when we bring what we have, even if it's very little, if we're bringing what we have, God brings what He has. And we already said, He's got auto-regenerating shelves. There's never a lack. There's never a deficit. There's always more available. The picture that Malachi gives us is God opening up heaven and pouring a blessing out so much that you can't receive it. We can't even imagine it. Can you ever imagine in your life going, God, I don't have any more room for your blessings. Where am I going to put all this? My heart is full. My mind is full. My will is full. It's all full. What am I going to do with this extra? And I don't know about you, but I think I think what's happening right now in our culture is there is a sense that God is real and something's happening. I don't think people understand it yet, but it seems like there's an openness to God's Spirit growing in our land. And so I don't know about you. I don't know about you. I'm going to tell you about me. I want this to be a place that when we come, we all bring what we have. And some of us may have more, and some of us may have less, but we bring what we have. We bring our gifts, we bring our talents, we bring our strengths, we bring our weaknesses, we bring our families, we bring our neighborhoods, we bring our time, our money, our emotions, our minds. We bring it all. And I want this to be a place where anyone who comes in Senses, feels, experiences God pouring out blessings. You know, Brian said this weeks ago, and he said, I think God comes where he's wanted. I want God, I want him here. I want a spirit flowing up and down these rows. I want them all the way over at South Campus. I want them on the streets that lead to this place. I want them everywhere. But I, I, don't, want, I don't want to be the only one. I want our church to be a place where we say, God, we want you here. And our lives become dedicated, committed, consecrated to God being present in our midst. But that's a whole life change. That means I don't get the time off to be off with God. That means I'm in. Our memory verse for this week is Romans 8.32, and it says this, Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? God loves you. He is moving towards you. He is not coming with a deficit of resources, He's coming with all of them. Are we responding to God with openness? submission to what he wants to do with our life with a readiness and a willingness to obey him in whatever he asks us to do that is the place that god arrives in a manifest way that no one can deny and that's what i'm praying happens here i'm praying that god arrives so much so you can't walk in these doors and not feel his presence The first person you interact with in the parking lot is already preaching a message to you. That's the place that this can be. Are you willing to respond to God in faith like that? Let's pray. God, we want the reality of the kingdom of God in our lives every day. But God, we are weak in our desires, we are weak in our wills, we are weak in our minds to understand and comprehend, but God, you are gracious. So God, we ask you right now as the care volunteers come to the front, God, would you, would you open up your storehouse to us? God, would you offer a blessing to us? Would you make yourself manifest once again in our lives? God, would you change us? Would you make us oriented towards your presence and your person and your purpose? God, change us for your glory, not for ours. And we pray, God, that in the apartments, at the YMCA, at the neighborhoods around Brookwood Church, that, God, your presence would grow and that you would call men to yourself. You would call women to yourself. You would call children to yourself. Lord, may it be so. We're able to pray these things in the name of Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for being here.
0: Here's this week's memory verse. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Thanks for joining us for the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Next week, our episode will conclude the two-part series called New Life, and it's with our incoming senior pastor, Brian Jones. Have a great week, and thanks for listening.